Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is August the 27th, and our chapter for today is the Gospel of John, chapter 17. It is an insight into the very heart of the Messiah himself. Jesus opens up his prayer closet and allows us to enter in as he talks to his Father. Now, he has just encouraged his disciples. He has been telling them that he's going away and that sorrow is going to fill their heart. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be put out of the synagogues. But then he ends, as he always does, with a great word of encouragement. In verse 33 of chapter 16, Jesus said these words, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In Jesus is where we find peace, in Messiah, in the Anointed One. And then he said, in the world, in this cosmos that we live in, in this world order in which we live, the word world is the word cosmos. It means order, not chaos, which means disorder, but cosmos. That's where we get our word cosmopolitan, polis, city, Cosmo, a worldly city, a, a city of great fame and flavor and color. We call that a cosmopolitan place. So the word cosmos means order. Now, that doesn't just refer to one order. It refers to the order or the world of nature, the world of men. It can be the world order in which God created everything, but the world order that is under the control of Satan, that is not ultimate control, but he is the prince of this world. He is the God, G-O-D, small g, of this world. Yes, he is under the authority of God Almighty, who is the ultimate sovereign, but Satan rules and is the prince and power of the air. This is what the Bible teaches consistently. In this world, which is dominated by the curse, dominated by sin, dominated by the flesh, he says, you will have crushing. Now, the word tribulation is the word which is used in the Gospel of Matthew for the Megale, the mega or the mega-tribulation, the great tribulation is translated. The word tribulation is the word to crush. It's the word for a mortar and pestle where you have uh, medicine being crushed. You have the bowl and then you have this rod or stick or pestle as it's called, and it's a place of crushing. And uh, Jesus said in this world, you're going to have pressure. You're going to have tribulation. This is not a cakewalk. If we're living under the rule and dominion of Messiah, uh, if we're uh, walking in the way of God, we're going to hit the world head on. In this world, we're going to have tribulation. This is how Jesus ended this discussion with his disciples, this teaching. But he said, be of good cheer. Cheer up. I have overcome the world. 
In Jesus, we are more than overcomers. This is what the Apostle Paul said. We are more than conquerors. In Jesus, we win. And so Jesus then begins to pray, not like he did in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, where we have the model prayer, where Jesus said to them, I want you to pray in this manner. Uh, In other words, when you pray, you pray in this manner. And then he began to give the model prayer, a pattern for praying, not something that's to be blindly recited with no feeling, no commitment. But he taught them how to pray, our Father in heaven. That speaks of our relationship with God. He didn't say our judge in heaven, but our Father. There's a difference between standing before a judge and standing before your Father. If the judge is your Father, there is a different relationship there. And so we are rightly related to God. So that's the standing we come to Him, our Father in heaven. When we pray, we need to pray to our Father if we are indeed followers of Jesus. Hallowed be your name. God is so set apart. He is transcendent. He is above who we are. He is outside of who we are. He's the creator. We're the creation. So we hallow his name. And then he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's recognizing God's sovereignty, his relationship, his holiness, his sovereignty, and his provision. He is the provider. Give us this day our daily bread. That's very much like the manna in the wilderness. Every day we go to God for sustenance with thanksgiving in our heart. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In other words, Lord, we're living in a sin-cursed world, and we know we're forgiven standing before you, but we need a relationship with others. We need to be mindful of loving others and forgiving others because we ourselves need to be forgiven. Lord, we need your help from the tempter because the enemy of our souls is constantly wanting to destroy us. So please keep us out of the places of temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because yours is the kingdom. You are the sovereign of the universe. You're the creator. All authority, all enabling power comes from you. And all the glory, the honor, the praise, everything that we can give is yours forever. Amen. Now, that model prayer he gives in the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, he speaks of it in so many ways in modeling out and patterning throughout the Gospels. But in John chapter 17 and verse 1, after he had encouraged his disciples, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. He didn't bow his head. He lifted up his eyes and looked into the Father's face. And he said, Abba, Abba, Father, the hours come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. And as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. You see, the father is the one that chooses us and he gives us as a gift to his son. That's right. We are chosen of the father. We are drawn by the Holy Spirit. And we are given as a gift to the Son. And he said, you have given eternal life to these. And as you have given them to me, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus, Messiah, whom you've sent. 
So when we know Jesus, we know the Father. When we know the Father, we know Jesus because they are one. I have lifted you up. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he was going to finish well. It was not going to be pleasant, but he was going to finish well. It was not going to be comfortable, but he was going to finish well. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I'm often asked about the passage called the kenosis in Philippians chapter 2, where the Bible says Jesus laid aside whatever it was that people argue about. He emptied himself, emptied himself of what? He laid aside, emptied himself of what? I do not believe he emptied himself of his attributes. He could not do that. He is God. I don't believe he laid aside his deity. He is God. He didn't lay aside his righteousness. He is God. No character quality of God, no attribute of God he laid aside. Well, what did he lay aside? I believe he laid aside the glory that he had with the Father. And this is why Jesus is saying, Father, I cannot wait to get back with you so that we can be together as we once were in glory. When Jesus was here, his glory was veiled. There was a time on the Mount of Transfiguration in northern Israel around Mount Hermon in that range on an exceedingly high mountain that the glory that is within Jesus came out of him and shone so brightly that he was glorified in front of three of his disciples and the veil of flesh was pulled back. And it was a heavenly thing, so much so that two emissaries from heaven, Elijah and Moses, came to speak with the Son of God, Messiah. And so he said, I have made plain your name. I've manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. In other words, God the Father again draws us. We belong to him. You say, well, what about if someone is not saved that the Father is drawing? You better let God take care of that answer. Because let me just tell you, the Bible says that the ones that he set his love upon in Romans chapter 8, that he knew, he saw, he drew, he called, he justified, he sanctified, he glorified. None are lost along the way. You say, well, you're a Calvinist. No, I'm not. You say, well, you're an Armenian. No, you're not. I don't have to be placed into a category. What are you going to place Jesus in a category? What are you going to put Paul in a category? You're going to put Peter in a category, Barnabas in a category. That is a bunch of Western garbly gook, and God is sick of it, and so is everyone else. Why don't we just teach and preach the Bible? If you listen, just listen to any great teacher that you think is a great teacher. You listen to David Jeremiah, you think he's a great teacher? He is. Listen to John MacArthur, you think he's a great teacher? He is. You listen, name whoever it is. If they are Bible preachers, sometimes when you hear them preach, you're going to think that they are totally Reformed, Calvinist, Augustinian, whatever you want to call them. And then you hear them again, and you're going to think that they are uh, Jacob Arminius. You think they're going to be someone that is just going off the beam in free will and giving man a choice. Why? Because the Bible presents two tracks. 
Spurgeon said it like this. He said, it's like two rails running side by side. When you look on down the road, it looks like they come together. He said, they are two tracks that are parallel, the sovereignty of God and man's volition. They run side by side, and somewhere down the end, there is an optical illusion. If you look down, it looks like they come together. Well, they do come together, but it's not going to be in this life. It's going to be in heaven. That's why he said on the outside of the door of heaven, it says, whosoever will may come. But as soon as we go in and turn around and look at the door through which we came, it will not say whosoever will may come. That's on the outside. But from God's perspective, it says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You see, the scripture teaches both, which is right. Yes. And so we need to quit fussing and fighting about this. Because let me tell you, the Bible teaches clearly that no one can come unto Jesus except the Father draw them. We are gifts of the Father to the Son. That's what the Bible says. Now, Jesus prayed this. He opened up his heart. He opened up the corridors of heaven so we could see in. And uh, he sheds light on prayer. And so he says in verse 7, now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And they did. He said, I pray for them, but I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. There again, the Father has given you and me as gifts to him, for they are yours. They belong to the Father, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, in us. Imagine that. His grace is magnified in us, for I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Oh, my, this podcast cannot begin to deal with that verse. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of hell, the son of destruction, the son of perdition. The word perdition is the word apolumi. It is a form of that word, that's the base word, apolumi, which is the word to destroy. It's what we talked about in John 10. The thief comes not but for to kill, to destroy, to lay waste, to ruin. That's the word here. The son of waste and perdition, of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now you say, wait just a minute. So Judas was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus, but he was not saved. That's what the Bible says. says the son of destruction, that the father is not in him. The spirit is not in him. He was the son of perdition, the son of destruction. That's Lucifer. Are you telling me that one of Jesus' disciples himself was lost, one of the followers of Jesus? Listen, I'll tell you that every day. Because everybody that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall not enter in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew chapter 7. Many people claim to be followers of Jesus and their heart is not right with God. They're doing it for what they can get out of it. Obviously, Judas was following Jesus for the notoriety, 
It was a popular thing to do. And besides that, he was the treasurer. He was stealing money. John, under inspiration, the beloved John the Apostle said he's a thief. In other words, he was stealing money from the treasury. You say, well, why didn't Jesus stop him? Same reason he doesn't stop you from doing things, because he is, he is merciful. And so we should never take for granted this concept of mercy. And he said this was done so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I'm not of the world. Now, folks, this is a great lesson for us. Listen to me. We cannot isolate ourselves from the world. We've tried to do that, and that doesn't work, and we can't be salt and light. We are to be in the middle of culture, in the middle of society, being salt and light. We don't need to get in our enclaves off over here and separate ourselves because that's not God's plan as to how we make a difference in the world. Come out from among them and be you separate is not a command that would bring us aside and have nothing to do, taste not, touch not, all of these different prohibitions. You can live life like that, but all you have to do is look around at some Baptist and some Methodist and some Church of God and all these other denominations that think they are better than someone and they're going to separate themselves and they're not going to be like other people. And in doing that, we become like the people that Jesus had the most scathing indictments for, and that's the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the religious people who were always looking down their noses in condemnation and condescension to others. Finally, in verse 17, Jesus said, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. Why are we reading the Bible? Is it so we can say we read through the Bible? No, it's to form a habit of getting in the Word of God, the Bible, every day, every day, every day. Why is that? Is that an end in itself? No. The reason we read the Bible is not just to know more about God, but to know God, know His will for our lives and do it and live our lives in a way that's pleasing to Him so that one day we will hear Him say, Lord, You overcame you help me to overcome, and we will hear him say, Well done, good, faithful servant. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.